ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. You have said that this defense is going to be more aggressive this year, which I don't know that that's possible. You guys have been a, a top five defense the past four seasons. How, is that possible to be more aggressive? I, I think it's always possible. You know, um, it, it's always possible, and, and I always, I always say defense wins championships. You know, so it, it's, it's going to start and end with us. Uh, we, we take that on our shoulders. Um, that responsibility of, of trying, to, and we need to be better, you know, uh, to, to say that last year's ending was, was hurtful. It was, you know, it, I, it sucks the way that it ended. It felt like we never even had a chance to, uh, to really compete in that game. But um, what are ways that our defense could have been better in that game? You know, that's what I'm looking at is how could I have been better for our team and our defense? And so um, I think we're, we're for sure taking steps in the right direction right now. We're doing the, the tedious work right now of going out there on the field and in the weight room and putting the work in because uh, you can't, you don't just snap your fingers and you're back in that game, right? You, you got to take each step, uh, one step at a time. And so that's, that's what we're doing right now. That's 49ers linebacker Fred Warner recently talking about the urgency for the defense to improve. I'm not even sure, Peter, the 85 Bears would have had a chance in that NFC championship game with no quarterback, no quarterback at all, maybe in 85, but not today where quarterback is so important. If you don't have one, you're done. I'm impressed. The 49ers actually didn't completely just fold the tents and get blown off the field. They still kept coming. They still kept trying, but they really were playing with one hand tied behind their back. Now they've lost another defensive coordinator to a head coaching job, but they have Steve Wilkes, who is a great defensive mind and a guy that has experience leading teams, both the Cardinals and then last year as the interim coach of the Panthers. I have no concerns at all about the 49ers defense. My concern with the 49ers every year is who's going to play quarterback and is he going to stay healthy? And if he is healthy, is he going to be effective enough to run that offense the way Kyle Shanahan wants? Honestly, you know, I think 
when you talk about the quarterback's health in San Francisco, I think it's a little bit of, uh, you know, kind of fake news if everybody wonders, geez, can, uh, you know, can Brock Purdy stay healthy for a full season? I mean, that was about as fluky an injury. I mean, and it happens. It could happen to Charles Atlas. It it just, these things happen when you're playing that position, your arm is in motion and you get hit a certain way. I get it. But, you know, Brock Purdy's a guy who also started 47, 48 games, not always behind a great offensive line uh, at Iowa State. And he's not a terribly big guy either. So, I don't really have a lot of fear about Brock Purdy's health. I don't think this is Jimmy Garoppolo revisited. I think the 49ers are going to get Brock Purdy back probably full speed by pick a day, August 1st, August 10th, August 15th. I don't know. But I think they're going to have a full, complete, healthy quarterback in Brock Purdy. And we'll see where he takes him. And and look, a lot of people wonder. Well, where does this leave? Uh, where does this leave Trey Lance? Uh, because obviously, you've also got Sam Darnold, and Kyle Shanahan's playing the best guy. He has proven that. So to me, this is going to be a really, really interesting year. But I'm not sure it's going to be as dramatic as you'd think because I don't think Kyle Shanahan is thinking at the first sign of trouble, let's get Brock Purdy out of there. Oh, I don't disagree with you at all. It just feels like they're cursed. It's always something at the quarterback position. And every time it feels like they have something going, something goes wrong. And I just wonder what the plan is behind Brock Purdy. I feel like they're trying to send out signals that Sam Darnold could maybe supplant Trey Lance. Is Trey Lance available to be traded? I think that window's closed, number one, because they're going to want too much to save face. And number two, there's really no seats out there for him. But the defense is not my concern. I look at that defense and I say Nick Bose is the anchor. They've got right. Fred Warner. They've got Dre Greenlaw. They've got great players. They added Javon Hargrave via free agency. Defense isn't the issue for the 49ers. It's the offense. And, uh, uh, yeah, their defense could be better this year with the arrival of Hargrave. And Eric Armstead still there. And everything that they're doing to build that defense around a Nick Bosa, who's still waiting for that massive second contract that he has well earned during his time in the NFL. So, Peter, I see in the NFC, you know, the AFC, who the hell knows? It's easier to pick out the non-contenders in the AFC than the list of contenders. There's so many of them. In the NFC, it's the 49ers and the Eagles. And the 49ers may be the better team if if they have Brock Purdy all year long and he continues to develop the way he was developing last year. And look, I think you're right about who stands at the top, but I will, I I just always say this at this time of year, that when is the last time that the new season was 90% a carbon copy of the old season? Uh, The 12th of never. It just never, it just, that doesn't happen. So something is going to happen. I think it might be Detroit um, playing in a diminished NFC North. Uh, It might be Seattle. You never know. Can Geno Smith put the magic together again? 
Uh, they got a great new receiver, apparently, in Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, they got a better running game. I mean, that, I'll tell you, the Seattle Seahawks really fascinate me. And I will not be surprised if we're in week 17 and we're still talking about a pennant race in the NFC West you know, between Seattle and San Francisco. Will not surprise me at all. So I, I agree with you as we sit here on May 19th that it is the 49ers and the Eagles vying for the Super Bowl. But somebody's going to come along and by Thanksgiving, we're going to say, wow, where did Team X come from? Where did the Atlanta Falcons come from? And where, whoever, I don't know, but it's going to be somebody. Well, on Thanksgiving night, we'll see the 49ers visit the Seahawks on NBC. And then one week later, the Seahawks visit the Cowboys on a Thursday night. So within the span of seven days, great opportunities fairly late in the season to get a look at where the Seahawks are. And the NFL making the bet that the Seahawks are going to be pretty good, as you pointed out earlier. They don't have faith in the Falcons. They do have faith in the Seattle Seahawks. Let's take a break. A lot of readers not having faith in Peter's power rankings. Well, look at some of the crap he's taken <laughs> for the thankless job of trying to prioritize in the offseason where the 32 teams fit together when PFT Live continues right after this. Let's go to uh, Louis Hard. Your list is trash. Defend it. Okay. Uh, I like that deep analytical take into my list. Your list is trash. It reminds me of the old Just for Men commercial for Beard and Mustache, where Keith Hernandez and Walt Frazier are telling Emmett Smith, your beard is weird, your stash is trash. Your list is trash, <laughs> Peter. Hey, you know, I don't know why I do this other than to generate more social media contact and 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 whatever than I do the rest of the year combined. It's it's unbelievable how much people seem to care about this list every year. But the way I look at this is I'm going to tell you an easy thing to do, and that is take last year's standings and say, well, here we go. The not easy thing to do is to say, I think Tampa Bay is going to be number 31 in the league, and I think Detroit is going to be number six in the league. And I do remember that, and again, look, I'm wrong a lot on these things, but I do remember when the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were coming off a seven and nine season with an old quarterback who nobody trusted anymore after the end of his last year in New England, picking them, you know, high in the top 10. And then later in the summer, picking them to get to the Super Bowl. And that got a lot of really positive reaction. And, and the same thing, I picked the 49ers coming off an awful year to be good. But anyway, my point is very simple, that in this job, Mike, you know what you're paid to do? You're paid to have a little bit of a crystal ball. You just are. If people say, hey, who do you like this year? Well, it's easy to say, well, I like Philadelphia and Kansas City. No crap, Sherlock. I mean, so pick two or three teams on both sides of the spectrum. Pick two or three teams 
who you like better than other people do and pick a team or two or three who you think are might crash and burn. And so that is what I attempt to do every year with this list. And the challenge with that is if you're wrong about the teams that were good last year, people just kind of shrug. If you throw a dart on a team that was bad last year that you think is going to ascend and you're wrong, they think you've lost your damn mind. And the deeper problem is this, especially with power rankings this time of year. The offseason is about building hope, plausible or otherwise. The last thing that fans want to see is their team in the bottom half of the hierarchy, especially in the final six or seven spots at a time when the NFL offseason is all about generating hope. This can be the year. You can do it. Look how quickly this team turned it around. Look how quickly that team turned it around. And people get more upset, far more upset in the offseason when they can delude themselves with zero and zero. Zero and zero can do a lot of work for a fan. And they can think that the Super Bowl is within reach. And you drop them down to 30, 31, 32, they're going to be pissed. So they're going to be pissed no matter what this time of year. Let's look at some of this uh, feedback that you got. This one was from FMIA reader Bill regarding the decision that the Eagles should be the number one team at this point. Philly didn't beat anybody last season. Very soft schedule. Got lucky against San Francisco and lost the Super Bowl. I disagree with that. I think you're right to put the Eagles at number one. I would do the same thing. They've reloaded in several areas. They are just scratching the surface of what they can be. The question is, psychologically, how do they recover from what happened last year? Can they go back to zero and zero and dig out again after losing the Super Bowl when they were up 10 points in the second half? But they have the talent, Peter, to pick up right where they left off last year. You know, I think... One of the reasons why I put the Eagles first and Kansas City second is is very simple, that I think Kansas City's path to winning the AFC and winning another Super Bowl is going to be much more difficult than Philadelphia's path. Not that Philadelphia has an easy schedule. It's tougher than it was a year ago. But Kansas City's schedule is an absolute killer. And so to me, I think you factor that in. And I think you could say, you know, the Bengals got a really tough schedule. Buffalo has a tough schedule and all that. And so I don't know what's going to happen in the AFC. Is Lamar Jackson going to be the rising tide that lifts all boats? Can Lamar Jackson stay healthy? If Lamar Jackson plays 17 games, I think Baltimore is going to win 11. And... You know, I don't know whether that means they'll win their division and beat Cincinnati and Pittsburgh uh, and Cleveland or whether it just means they'll make the playoffs. But they're going to be a lot better than they were in December and January last year. I think the one other thing about that question that bothers me a bit, uh, as well as a lot of questions about the Eagles, I just ask, you know, did you watch the Super Bowl? And... Were you convinced that day at the 55-minute mark of the game with five minutes to go? I'm sitting there right next to you in the press box, Mike, and I just was thinking to myself, Philadelphia is a better team. I, and, you know, they didn't win the game, so they weren't the better team. But with five minutes to go and down the stretch of that game, there were many times I kept thinking about how good Philadelphia is. 
And, you know, they didn't win the game. But I don't know how you could look at that game and not, A, fall in love with the quarterback, and, B, fall in love with the depth of the team. And the thing that I believe, although they won't say it because it's sour grapes um, and it's spilled milk, but here's what I wonder, Mike. You know, when Hassan Reddick goes to bed and lays his head on the pillow on May 19th, do you think any bit of him comes back to thinking, man, if that was a regular football field, if that was a fast track that day, what I would have been able to do to Patrick Mahomes. And, but it didn't happen, so you're right. It's all spilled milk. It's all water under the bridge and every other cliche you can think about. Eagles were the better team. Chiefs had Mahomes. The field was a factor, even though the Eagles won't say it publicly. And the whole Jonathan Gannon thing that popped up within the past three weeks, how distracted was he by Boy, his that day after? Day after the Super Bowl interview with the Cardinals, when they still didn't figure out how to deal with motion and shifts, it was two key plays in the second half where the Eagles' defense was confounded as they were all year long by motions and shifts. They weren't ready for it, and that's what burned them. So uh, if they can iron out some of those wrinkles, they can get right back to the top of the mountain. You, you mentioned the Lions earlier. They're a team that many believe will be a hot team this year. They get the assignment week one, NBC, Thursday night, September 8th at Kansas City. You have them at six. Football Morning in America reader John Lane. I've got a lifelong friend named John Lane. He listens to the show. So hello, John, and thank you for your question. If you're the same John Lane, not exactly an uncommon name. Why are people so big on the Lions? Weren't we all making fun of their draft a couple of weeks ago? Why are you so big on the Lions? I mean, the Lions, when I think about the Lions, I think of this word that is definitely going to be a word that you will use on my vocabulary thingamajig. I think of the <laughs> word gestalt, okay? So you say gestalt, what's that? And I say, well, the sum is better than the parts. And in my opinion... I don't look at Aiden Hutchinson and say, well, here's the next Bruce Smith. I don't look at Jared Goff and say, oh, my God, there's, there's Aaron Rodgers. I don't look at, uh, you know, at Amon Ross St. Brown and say, uh, that guy's Justin Jefferson, although he's really good. So I look at this team that is a team that has a really good, you know, where, where Brad Holmes, the general manager, has done a great job, in my opinion. And I'm not crazy about them letting Jamal Williams go. He's a great leader, scored 17 touchdowns. I think one day there might be a 30 for 30 on that or, or something, whatever the, the deep dive into. Why in the world did they let Jamal Williams walk? But my belief is that Dan Campbell believes that he can create a running game just like a year ago nobody would have said oh my god Jamal Williams man he's going to be the keystone to your offense nobody would have said that and he ended up being that but I think they have enough pieces to the puzzle as I say Brad Holmes what he has done is he's built real quality depth on this roster I just like the Lions especially in a diminished, uh, as I said a couple of minutes ago, a diminished uh, division like the NFC North.
You know, I can do your 30 for 30 on Jamal Williams in about 30 seconds. I think it's as simple as that very kooky, quirky personality we see from time to time that we find very engaging because we see it in short bursts. I think he's that way all the time, and they just had enough of it. They just had enough of this guy who is kooky and quirky all the time. And it's a fungible position. They had the plan to get a running back. They got Jameer Gibbs. They bring in David Montgomery. They let Jamal Williams walk away, and they didn't offer him very much money to stick around. You have the Vikings, who were 13-4 and last year, with a horrendous defense that can't get any worse this year. The offense only going to get better. They're at number 14. FMIA Brutus says the Vikings won the division, have most of their team back on offense, not defense, but it doesn't matter. The defense is horrible. Lions haven't won the division this century. Explain. We've talked about why you have the Lions so high. Why do the Vikings fall to the middle of the pack after being 13-4? and four? I just sort of feel like the Vikings' window is closing, Mike. Might be wrong. I just feel when I looked at the Vikings toward the end of last year, I don't trust them in big moments. Um, I think they're a nice team that can win any game they play. But the fact is they've won one playoff game in the Kirk Cousins era. And I just don't see the kind of radical improvement that you need to get better and to compete on the same level as the Philadelphia Eagles. That's how I view it. And look, you know, then trading Zadarius Smith. And I totally understand that at some point, if a guy is not going to be with the program, and this is a much different story than Aaron Rodgers. But, you know, Zadarius Smith wanted a new contract, wanted money, all that. And I think if you're the Vikings, you say, we have to allocate our resources wisely. And the one other thing about the Vikings, I think Kevin O'Connell and uh, this team, this, this coaching staff, I think this is a big year for not only the coaching staff as a whole, but but Kirk Cousins and his future. Because, Mike, you have to ask yourself this question. At the end of this year, are you, Mr. Viking, uh, going to want to pay Kirk Cousins $45 million a year? And that might be being conservative. Well, and the reason for hope is, as I said earlier, the defense can't get any worse. And they have Brian Flores in there. And I think he alone, his presence, will make the defense better offensively it's the first time since cousins was in washington that he's had the same person in his ear pre-snap for consecutive years second year in the offense kevin o'connell explained to me last week the things they're doing to help kirk cousins become more comfortable and he'll only be better justin jefferson will only be better they've added jordan addison they love kj osborne they have tj hawkinson they believe that that entire offensive system is going to improve But the problem with being 13 and four right out of the gates, you create a higher level of expectation and it's more likely to go down. I agree with you. It's a key year for the Vikings, particularly Kirk Cousins. It feels like this is it for him unless he can access something that will allow them to get past the divisional round. To me, their ceiling continues to be get blown out in the divisional round. They didn't quite get to the ceiling last year. But one of the reasons why I think plenty of Vikings fans weren't upset about the loss to the Giants in the wild card round is they knew what was coming. They saw it come for the Giants the following Saturday night in Philadelphia. 
it was either the Eagles or the 49ers and it wasn't going to end well. And I feel like that's the same thing this year. And so I think it justifies middle of the pack consideration going into the season. Now you have the Buccaneers. You mentioned this earlier too, at number 31, Chris Scheifen. And I apologize if I mispronounced the name, Chris, FMIA reader says the Bucs still have most of their Super Bowl team. Baker Mayfield's passer rating the year before he got hurt was five points higher than Tom Brady's last year. How is a team with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Tristan Wirfs, Ryan Jensen, Vita Vea, Shaq Barrett, Devin White, Levante David, Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, and on and on and we go. How is that team at the same level with Houston and Arizona who have about three players each anyone can name? You know, I sort of look at the Buccaneers and I understand that everybody says, my God, they got so many guys left from that Super Bowl team. And, and I, I would just say this, Mike, in the last five weeks of last season, I'm just going to read this off for a second. They allowed 35, 34, 16, 24, and 30 points. And so for everybody saying, oh, my God, look at this great defense. They still have all these weapons left on the defense. You're right. They have great names on that defense. That defense better play better because the offense – is going to struggle, I think, because I still don't know what has been done for a team that might have had the worst running game in the NFL last year. It's pretty hard when you're Todd Bowles and you want to run the ball to run for 1,304 yards in 17 games. That is utterly from hunger. And so I just, I think this team has a lot of holes, and it would be one thing if the guys on that front seven were coming off all great years, okay? But I don't think they are. So we'll see what happens. They certainly do have the resumes to throw out there on the field on opening day to be better than they were at the end of last year. So they might be. But again, for and, and by the way, you know, the reader who who basically said, well, Baker Mayfield is better than uh, a year, whatever he said before he got hurt, is better his passer rating than Tom Brady. I, I, I will also say that, you know, how did you win the Arizona game, you know, at the end of the season? How did you stay in the pennant race late in the year by winning at Arizona? You know, how did you win some of those games down the stretch? And even though Brady wasn't the magnificent Brady that he always was, I get it. And I get that it's time to move on. No argument there. But let's just remember, there's a lot of teams that have had Baker Mayfield on their team in the last four years. And for him to be free, absolutely, totally free, and to not have people beating a path to his door, just basically tells you a lot that you need to know. Here's a question for you. Why didn't the Rams try hard to keep him, knowing that, um, knowing that the, uh, you know, their quarterback has been hurt a bit, uh, you know, in Matthew Stafford? They didn't try hard to keep him. And so I, I, all I'm saying is I like the fact that the alternative is Baker Mayfield. But I think this alternative has one year written all over it. 
Glass half full assessment of the Buccaneers from my perspective. Number one, Mayfield has had a couple of good performances, 2018 and 2020. 21 was marred by the shoulder injury that he suffered in week two. It was his own fault trying to make a tackle after a turnover. Last year, it was Carolina. It was the Rams. He made the move to the Panthers late in the offseason. He wasn't able to be as good as he could be. That's kind of a chalk it up to bad circumstance. This year, maybe with a clean slate, Dave Canales, who turned around Geno Smith last year for the Seahawks, maybe he can make a difference for Mayfield. I also look, Peter, at the fact that, and you you mentioned earlier, the possibility of a 30 for 30 for why Jamal Williams is no longer with the Lions. How about a full season of 30 for 30s on what the hell went on last year in Tampa Bay with Tom Brady disappearing during training camp and the the overall burden psychologically that Brady's status put on the team. I think it's a breath of fresh air for them to have moved on. It goes all the way back to him retiring, unretiring, and then Bruce Arians is gone. It was just a weird cloud over the team all last year. That's not there this year. I don't know that it makes them better, but it's not there this year. And I look at that and I just wonder, no expectations, everybody writing them off. They still have a cluster of players from the Super Bowl team there. Could they be better than we expect in a wide open NFC South? No question. They could be. And this is about me gambling on the Atlanta Falcons having the most interesting and potentially explosive offense in the NFL if they even get a C-plus performance out of Desmond Ritter. Okay, before we take a break, one last comment from FMIA reader Robert Gillespie Sr. This this list made me think I'm high. So, so, uh, (laughs) I don't know how old Robert Gillespie Sr. is. I don't know whether he smokes with Junior or needs to hide it from Junior, but uh, he knows how it feels to be high. Apparently, let's go ahead and take a break. A game of which doesn't belong and why when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. At the theater, more than the movies come to life. Movie lovers march in and skip the line with digital tickets to the latest movies on the free Fandango app. Ready to grab some snacks. And head to the best seats in the house for a night of romance, terror, and quality family screen time. Visit Fandango.com or download the app today for your ticket to the movies. 
I talked to Tim and Dennis and Brandon and said, hey, let's start making some phone calls and see if, you know, if we could give up our fourth. When does it come into play that we would just have to give up our fourth? It's R2 and so it's 89 and R4. 89 and 128 score. Yeah, execute your first trade, Dave. You know, Dave's is like, hey, what if, what if I text McVeigh? I'm saying, yeah, go ahead. So we, uh, we typed in the terms, and uh, Dave sent it off to uh, Coach McVeigh, and eventually they called us back. We have the call. All right, yeah, we'll do it. The Los Angeles Rams have created their pick. The New York Giants are now on the clock. The New York Giants select Jalen Hyatt, wide receiver, Tennessee. Play ball's first trading. A little peek inside the machinations that resulted in the Giants trading up with the Rams to get Tennessee receiver Jalen Hyatt. The one thing they left out there, the one key piece in all of that, it isn't as quick as Joe Shane, the GM of the Giants, saying to the Rams, yeah, we'll take that. And the next thing you hear is the Rams have traded their pick. The key is, it's like the the two keys on the missile launch. Both teams have to independently communicate the trade to the league. If both teams fail to independently communicate the trade, the trade doesn't happen. We've seen that before. There was an issue with the Bears and the Ravens several years ago, where I think the Ravens ended up really upset at the Bears. I think that's what it was. But if you don't get both phone calls through, Peter, the trade doesn't happen. I remember I was in the Raiders draft room this year in the first round, and the Raiders were in a this sounds weird to say, but in kind of a low energy way, we're trying to trade up to the last three picks, one of the last three picks of the first round. I think it was New Orleans, Philly, and Kansas City in order to take Michael Mayer, the tight end from Notre Dame. And the reason that it was low energy is that they knew it was going to take a significant pick to move up to late in the first round to get their guy. And they were going to have to move up like seven spots. So this was not like trading a seven. They were going to have to trade a three or whatever. And and for them to think of trading away the pick they got for, let's say, Darren Waller with the Giants, the low third round pick, that was just going to be a non-starter for them. But anyway, what is interesting is you talk about the machinations, Mike. The Las Vegas Raiders have a board in the back of their draft room. And whenever a team calls, the offer that the team has made is put up. And then the alternatives immediately are put up. These are things that have been done beforehand, that have all been figured out beforehand. Okay, these are the counters that we should make that would be advantageous to us. And they started making those counters and then they realized that they weren't in the ballpark with any of those three teams. So you just hung up the phone and say, well, good luck to us tomorrow. We're going to try to make it happen tomorrow and get Michael Mayer. They ended up doing it. I think they moved up three spots uh, with Indianapolis, and they ended up getting them. But a lot of times, teams are more desperate than that. So at the last minute, they'll say, uh, you know, we're only going to offer a four. And then the team, the trading team would say... <clears throat> It's going to take your three to get this done. And maybe a couple of quick words back and forth. Coach GM, do it. We need this guy. 
But in general, I have found teams, when I'm in the draft room, Mike, I found them to be more disciplined than you think. Going right back to Jerry Jones and Paxton Lynch in 2016, you remember the Dallas Cowboys entered that draft. They had already taken Ezekiel Elliott in the top 10, top five. And then later in the first round, they were trying to move up to get Paxton Lynch. And Stephen Jones called 19 teams. And he couldn't get it done with what they were offering. And the next day, Jerry Jones was furious. But because they didn't get him. And he, he, he made this point to me that every deal I've ever made in my life I've, that I have really loved years later, that I've really benefited from, I've paid too much. Just like the Dallas Cowboys. But in retrospect... That is the reason why in Dallas, for instance, there are guardrails in place. The personnel staff, uh, Stephen Jones, uh, there are guardrails in place to stop Jerry from doing something that three days before the draft he never would have done, but he gets excited and he wants his guy. And I think that has served the Cowboys well in the last few drafts. All right, as promised, a quick game of which doesn't belong and why. We start with the Giants as one of the options. Wild card teams from 2022 with tough early season schedules. Giants, Dolphins, Chargers, which doesn't belong and why, Peter King? I would say the Chargers. And and I would say the Chargers because at least the way I look at them right now, they still need, I don't want to say a perfect game, but this is a team that has not been able to play the consistent kind of defense that Brandon Staley thought he could, he could play with his team, as witnessed in the playoff game in Jacksonville last year, where they just totally collapsed uh, in the last, whatever, 33 minutes of the game. But to me, I think they've got to prove they can play a good, solid defensive game before they can be trusted Uh, to make noise in the playoffs this year. One of the three head coaches, Brandon Staley, clearly on the hot seat. So there's an urgency to get off to a good start. I'll say the Dolphins, though, because they're in a division where they play every team from the AFC West this year, every team from the NFC East this year. The questions about Tua Tonga-Vailoa are still lingering. I think there's a chance only one team gets out of the AFC East and qualifies for the postseason. So you may have to win the division or you don't get in this year. It's going to be critical for the Dolphins to get off to a good start and keep Tua Tagovailoa healthy. And they may have a hard time doing that. And they may be the most likely of the three to not be back in the postseason field. All right. There was some talk in the aftermath of the draft that, remember, after the Jets and Packers flip-flopped as part of the Aaron Rodgers trade, the Jets gave up pick number 13 and they acquired pick number 15 sandwiched in between the two was New England Patriots. The Patriots traded out of that spot with the Steelers. The thinking is Bill Belichick did it deliberately to keep the Jets from getting the tackle the Steelers were targeting, Georgia's Broderick Jones. Here is Mike Tallman, coach of the Steelers, with Rich Eisen on that issue of whether the Patriots were trying to stick it to the New York Jets. Did you find the one trading partner that you knew would love to let somebody jump the Jets for a prospect the Jets wanted in Belichick, Mike Tomlin? Did you 
Did you, you know, I'm not going to delve into the relationship between New England and the Jets. Let's just say I'm glad we found a partner. Because <laughs> I'm sitting there on the I'm sitting there on the draft set saying, "Oh, what a what an interesting trade partner for somebody who just jumped the line for somebody that we all there, thought the Jets were going to take." This way, there wasn't a lot of hesitation on New England's end. <laughs> You know, I posed a similar question to Steelers GM Omar Khan a couple of weeks ago. He wasn't quite as candid. He was a little more guarded, but they read the room the right way. And they, I think, recognized the Patriots were the right option for that trade. So that leads into the question of which doesn't belong and why. Category is groups that hate the Jets, the Patriots, the Giants and the Mara family, and Jets fans, which doesn't belong and why. You know, I'll tell you which doesn't belong and, and because I think it's a lot more than you think, and that is the Patriots. And so I'm taking this in a little bit of a different direction. I think there is every bit the enmity, uh, Mike Florio's favorite word of the day, uh, between, you know, on one side from Bill Belichick to the Jets. And honestly, I don't think the Giants and the Jets – are the bitter rivals that they have been at some points in their histories. <clears throat> because, look, Woody Johnson and John Mara both, uh, you know, they're on the same side, at, you know, when it comes to that, uh, you know, that proposal of not allowing flex scheduling for f- Thursday night football. And they've been on the same side of quite a few issues. So I don't know that the Giants and the Jets, I think they're more, you know, neighbors who are in the same business than they are these bitter rivals. You know, I'll agree with you. And also the Giants have the four Super Bowl championships over the past 37 years. The Jets haven't been there in 50 plus years. The Giants can just kind of look down their noses at the Jets. It isn't that true kind of hate that the Patriots and Bill Belichick have or that chronic frustration that the fans of the Jets typically will demonstrate. Let's go ahead and take a break. In honor of Peter wrapping up 39 years of covering the NFL, we're going to have a little 39-inspired trivia right after this on PFT Live. There he is, Larry Zonka, number 39. Thanks for that, Super Bowl Eight, running through and around the Minnesota Vikings as the Dolphins won two in a row. One of the great 39s of NFL history, Peter finishing 39 years covering the NFL. We got a few quick trivia questions, Peter, involving the number 39. What number 39 has the longest touchdown run in Super Bowl history? What number 39? Uh, I would have no idea, except the only number, other number 39 that's emblazoned on me is Willie Parker of the Steelers. But that would, I don't that's think him. he was there. If that's what that, he wore, it's him. It's Willie that's Parker. Him? That's him. I knew it was that's Willie crazy. Parker. I, I thought Look it was Willie this. Parker. I just didn't know he wore 39. There he goes. Super yeah. Bowl 40 wow. against Look the Seattle that. Seahawks. 
Running past an official wearing black and yellow stripes that year, as Seahawks fans still believe. So, well done. One for one. That was team effort. (laughs) What number 39 was tied for the NFL lead with six interceptions last year, Peter King? What number 39? Um, I'm going to not know the answer to this, but I do want you to give me a clue. And I'll only take half credit. If you give me a clue, even a bad clue. Well, the clue I give you will answer the question. It's the only thing I can think of. Let's just say this. The Steelers didn't retire (laughs) Willie Parker's jersey number for that Super Bowl run against the Seahawks. Wow. I don't know. What is it? Minka Fitzpatrick, number 39, currently for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Lord. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. He had six. C.J. Gardner-Johnson had six and maybe one other. All right, last one real quickly. Before 2000, who were the only two quarterbacks to throw for more than 39 touchdown passes in a single season? Before 2000, I would say Dan Marino and John Elway. Dan Marino and Kurt Warner. I would have guessed Dan Marino and Dan Fouts, but it was Dan Marino and Kurt Warner who did it in 1999, that year that he came out of nowhere 1999 one year after seinfeld peter and my favorite show oh, we're doing good. a little seinfeld draft yeah. since it's been 25 years since seinfeld went off the air we'll do that when pft live continues right after this by the way those of you who tune in on friday for the sat word of the day probably did not have wackadoo wackadoo and bullcrap bullcrap but sometimes you have to wait for the $10 word to come from Peter, but it will come at some point today. One of the things that I had always been told about McDaniels in in this sort of interregnum between his time in Denver and taking his this job, they are trying to basically use this as a cudgel over Daniel Snyder. The only way to ameliorate the situation in Washington, to fix it, the only way is for Daniel Snyder to sell the team. It's just, to me, it's so much palaver. Why would anybody care, really, if you love Bing, the baby? There it is. There is it there is. Yeah, I was texting with somebody last night, an executive with one of the teams involved in this rigmarole. I got the SAT word today, Peter. Rigmarole. I'm going to see your rigmarole. They still are in position to finagle with a win on Sunday, a possible home game in the playoffs. And see your finagle, and I'm going to raise you a super incumbent. Okay, super incumbent. Something that sort of hangs over the festivities. (laughs) There it is. We balance out the four days per week of Chris Sims destroying the English language with Peter (laughs) elevating the discourse. Well, Mike, I always like to make you smarter because that's really why I'm here. There's only one reason. It's not to hang around and cover the NFL. It's just to make you smarter. So I hope I've done that job. And you indeed have. Egalitarian, one of the words of the day for today. When we return, a special Seinfeld draft because there's nothing else going on. More PFT Live right after this.
This past Sunday was the 25th anniversary of the Seinfeld finale. We're going to draft as quickly as we can Seinfeld's best contributions to pop culture. A quick trivia question, though. For the 39th episode of Seinfeld, George gets in a fight with Kramer's friend Mike Moffat over what, Peter, do you remember? A parking space. Bingo, you get the first pick. Um, here is my favorite thing about Seinfeld of all time. It was a show about nothing every single week, and yet we could not look away. That's my choice. It was a show about nothing. Mine is without question Festivus. Festivus has endured. They didn't know what they had in Festivus. The name of the episode was The Strike, not Festivus. Festivus, every December 23rd, is going to continue to be a thing, thanks to Frank Costanza and his disdain for all things associated with Christmas. Do you have anything else? Or are we out of time? I think we may be out of time. My one last one. Him yelling at George Steinbrenner. George Costanza yelling at George Steinbrenner <laughs> and getting the assistant to the traveling secretary job. One of the great moments in TV history provided by George Costanza. The Do the Opposite episode. It was brilliant. He started doing the opposite. Sometimes I do the opposite, but not intentionally. All right, we are done. Farewell to Peter. For the summer, we'll see him later this year. We'll see the rest of you on Monday. Have a great weekend. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.